Shalom Lechem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Madeline, known to us as Mindel Cohen. Mindel is the Director of Translation and Collections Initiatives at the Yiddish Book Center. She has a Ph.D. in Comparative Literature with an emphasis in Jewish Studies from the University of California, Berkeley. She's a Western Massachusetts native. She grew up in Greenfield and attended Hampshire College, where her studies focused on German and German-Jewish literature. As an undergraduate, Mindel participated in the Yiddish Book Center's Steiner Summer Yiddish Program, which set her on a path of Yiddish studies, and more recently, she was Yiddish Book Center Translation Fellow. Before coming back, as we say, to the Yiddish Book Center, she worked as the editor-in-chief for Ingeweb, a journal of Yiddish studies, and taught Yiddish language at Harvard University. Welcome. Thanks. It's great to be with you. It's nice to finally, after like almost yeah, a year. Yeah, we've been meaning to do this. <laughs> and you walk by the studio every day on your way to your office. And I've escaped so far. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been lucky enough to come in yet. <laughs> our, our reach has not um, yeah. extended. So um, finally get you here, and it's for the happy reason that we have just uh, published. As I, I, When you do something digitally, it's funny. I was wondering that this morning, too. I think it's nice to still say published. Okay. Yeah. So we're in agreement there. We are happy to announce that we have just published the 2019 Pockentrager digital translation issue. Yay! Mazel tov. Thank Ah, <laughs> and that's the extent, fellows, <laughs> listeners of my Yiddish, as you all know. Um, so this year's collection is an anthology of newly translated Yiddish letters. They're stories uh, and poems about letters, letters from one person to another. It's all about correspondence. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about kind of how it came together? Well, I think actually that the correspondence idea was yours, which was really exciting to see, you know, this project came when I had just started work at the center in the fall. So wrapping my head around, you know, thinking about all the different themes that you could organize an anthology of translation around. There's endless options. There's so much opportunity. But what's really exciting and why I think this idea stuck is that it's such an unexplored genre of Yiddish writing. Other literatures, collections of selected letters by important authors is something that's really accepted that you can find as part of the collected writings of Goethe or something like that. And Yiddish doesn't have much of that, um, but we know that these important correspondences exist between so many writers. Uh, And actually, in, in some translations that the center had previously published, letters had already come up as a theme. So we knew that it was an interesting theme to explore. So I think that the fact that it was kind of one of those areas that feels like uncharted territory of Yiddish translation, or or better that by focusing on that theme, we'd be able to pull together lots of interesting work that translators were already doing and finding and, and really put a spotlight on that. Well, I, I appreciate your making this happen because, um, yeah, I, I tried to advocate with you. Um, thank you. Successfully. <laughs> chocolate, chocolate. It's all about the chocolate bars. That's my no, weak spot, yeah. yes. Um, no, but seriously, I, I remember being at Yiva once and seeing this whole box and thinking, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to read some of these letters? And then, as you mentioned, we've had letters in in the actual print edition of Bach and Traeger recently, right. the letters between Blumo, Lempel, and um, Ava Rosenfarb. And right. they're just... Ah, there's such an amazing window. Yeah, and 
that was probably one of the inspirations and that's become one of the really special pieces that's included in in this translation issue is so translators Ellen Cassidy and Yermiyahu Aron Taub um, read through some of this correspondence and incorporated it in a piece they wrote for the print Pockentrager but they had uncovered so much interesting material that we knew there was much more to be done with it um, and this is still you know just scratching the surface of a really rich literary correspondence and literary relationship between two important um, post-war writers I think is also really interesting that these are two women writers whose work um, really happens after the Holocaust and into almost up until the 2000s. Um, so seeing the start of that material in the print Pockentrager was one of the ideas that said, oh, there's so much here. And it's we're really excited that we get to publish a slightly longer excerpt of that correspondence in this translation issue. And I mean, this is your field, Mendel. It's surprising that the two of them corresponded. Uh, I don't think it's surprising, but it, you know, it, it also reminds me, I'm in my 30s, of the this role that letter writing and building a relationship through letters had for people's lives that I don't know if people my age and younger can understand in quite the same way. They um, They probably met only once in real life, and the story is simply that Chava Rosenfarb who was probably the better recognized writer. This is in the 80s when they start corresponding. She read some of Bluma Lempel's work in Goldene Kate, which was the very prominent um, Israeli Yiddish magazine. And she liked it so much that she wrote to the editors of that magazine and said, can you give me this writer's address? I want to write to her. And she did and they struck up a years-long relationship only through letters they lived you know in different countries um I think that's really remarkable not just in the world of Yiddish but thinking about relationships and how writing structures our relationships today there's so many different avenues through which that correspondence um can be interesting um I'm just going to back up for one minute and then we'll get back on to um to this collection which is um yeah, I mean, letters were, there's a generational divide, as I say, over, mm-hmm. over this table. I um, mean, you know, I, re- I remember the importance of letters and keeping letters. And now I keep texts. And right. I'm wondering if that's something that other people do, because it it is this just amazing sort of diary or window. Right. Yeah, and I, I write in my introduction to this issue that um, I was lucky enough to have a written correspondence with my grandfather in Yiddish, and that was a kind of really pivotal experience for me. It was partly that he he wasn't quite confident enough in his Yiddish when he was in his 80s and 90s when I started learning it to speak with me. So I think there was something really nice for him about getting to sit down at his own kitchen table alone. He could have his dictionary, and he would take the time to write to me in Yiddish. and those are some of the only letters that I have saved, and I did save them all, but I don't have much other written correspondence like that. Um, yeah, and then I was thinking, you know, for scholars, right, who get to go to archives and look through these folders of written correspondence, 
I don't know what that looks like for scholars of people active today, thinking about the tens of thousands of emails that they <laughs> have to come through. That sounds not quite as romantic as um, getting to go to Yivo and, and rifling through a box of letters, which not just um, Ellen and Yermiahu did with the Lempel and Rosenfarb correspondence, but another great example in this collection is letters by Chaim Grada, a very important Yiddish novelist that Rose Waldman um, went through and picked out a selection from. It was that box of all the Grada archives that I saw in a corner at Evo. Uh-huh. That, that was my, Did like, you? I want to know <laughs> That's what, what I he wanted. said. Yeah. yeah. Um, was there um, something in the letters between um, Hava and Bluma that really resonated with you? Yeah, well, I, um, I actually brought with me just the very opening exchange because it's one of the things that's really striking to me, and I spoke about it a bit already, the fact that they didn't know each other at all all they knew was having read their published works and the letters are immediately close and intimate um, and very open and you can tell maybe especially that Bluma Lempel was not such an open and social person writing was really the place where she expressed herself and that results in this correspondence with a basically a stranger in which she's so she's so open so I brought a few lines of these opening letters, if you'd mm-hmm. like to hear them. So this is the very first letter that Chava sends to Bluma in September 1982. She starts her letter. Dear Bluma Lempel, I've read some of your writing in De Golden the Kate and felt so drawn to it that I asked the editors about you. Who are you? I feel very close to your writing, your style. So it's just, it's wonderful, right? It's saying, like, I think we're connected, or I think we could be connected. Um, and then the response that Bluma sends to Chava, she starts her letter, Dear Chava Rosenfarb, I almost wrote beloved Chava Rosenfarb instead of dear, and that would have been the truth. I've read and reread your letter. This is the very first thing she writes, and she's saying, I feel closer to you than I should, and I want to show that closeness. And you realize that the that that communication really buoyed them up professionally. I mean, right. that, that, that support encouraged, and Chava was trying to do that for Bluma, yes? Right. There are different exchanges where they, I remember, for example, they discussed the challenges of getting translations done of their works, um, and Chava was a bit more experienced in it than Bluma, so she gives her some advice about uh, being really sure of your translator. Um, and they support each other emotionally as well. You can tell that they must exchange some hard things that they're going through and how writing supports them. And some of the letters are only a line long, and they basically just say, I'm thinking of you. And that's that. And this correspondence did have a long, a long, long history. I mean, it was over a couple of decades, I believe. I think it's close to a decade. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I thought... Um, Maybe it was I remembered. There were other letters from Rosenfarb um, that go into folders right. over decades. So um, we mentioned Chaim Grada, and um, he had correspondence in this um, between um, – he wrote to his friend, um, Abraham Bornstein. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about that, and then I'm going to share with you, if I may, my favorite line, which you've heard before. Right. So the little I know about this I've you know learned from Rose Waldman, the translator um, – 
Abraham Bornstein was a friend and a supporter of Chaim Grada, something like a patron maybe even. He found ways to help financially support Grada's writing. And you can tell this from the letters themselves. Um, the correspondence is almost a way of Grada paying Bornstein back. Um, you know, he wants to show that he's giving something to the relationship too. And one can only imagine how complicated that relationship was or wasn't, I don't know. Um, but he's putting a real effort into his letters to give something worthwhile to Bornstein, even though I think they live very... I think Bornstein was in Israel for much of this time and Grada was in New York and Boston. So again, this correspondence is helping to maintain this relationship that's uh, important financially and it's a strong friendship as well. Um, it's really, it's interesting to see what a, how valuable these letters can be, both to Grada, the effort that he puts into them, and we assume to Bornstein, he, he saved hundreds of these letters. And again, you know, I, um, not being able to read both the literature or much about these writers, it's these everyday back and forth that are just, they right. make them real people in right. a real world, right. um, dealing with all of you know, the attendant things. Right. Um, so this, um, and, uh, you know, I beg your pardon for <laughs> listening to this again, but I just love this. Um, and this this was something I discovered in the collection um, that you, when you had put it together and I edited, I didn't edit, I, I read your edited manuscript. Mm -hmm. um, and we were working on some translation publishing, right. we should be full disclosure. Right. And I came across this line in one of um, Grata's letters, and it goes, now, tough days are awaiting me for the publishing of my book. Besides doing the writing, I still have to be my own manager, binder, shipper, publisher, seller. And it so resonated <laughs> with us. For anybody yeah. who wears many hats in their lives, Chaim Grada feels your pain. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> Or wonderful. he wants you to feel his pain. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, okay, here, you know, you imagine him in this room and, you know, coffee being brought to him so that, you know, right. his precious time is spent at the keyboard. But no, he's having to do everything. Right. It's not all that different than, than the realities of everyday life. Absolutely. So um, you've got such an interesting mix here, Mendel, in mm -hmm. what you selected. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about some of the other pieces. Yeah. So in addition to these personal correspondence from writers that we've talked a little bit about, um, the collection also includes a few stories in which letters play a major role. So we start the anthology with a story by Sholem Alechem that's called An Exchange of Letters Between America and the Old Country. Uh, and it's just a great example of using letters as the genre of a story um, that I think was so common, right, when when letters were more common. People write books with emails and texts in them now, but um, there's a great story also by a writer called Jonah Rosenfeld called Call It Destiny um, that is about a correspondence between uh, a fiancé, two, two fiancés, two engaged peoples, people, <laughs> um, in which the the distance of the letters helps the woman kind of ide idealize the relationship and make it into something that it's not, which um, should feel relevant today to people as well. 
uh, we also have some some poetry in which similarly um, they either take the form of a letter or a letter becomes a, an important symbol. And I think probably the most, there are two that are really powerful to me in the collection. One is by Avram Sutzgiver called My Mailman, in which waiting for his mailman to arrive reminds him of his mailman before the war, before the Holocaust. And it just becomes this symbol for him of a before and after um, that probably resonates for many survivors and that Sutzgiver explores so powerfully. The other poem that's really touching in this collection is um, called A Letter to My Mother by Mordecai Kosover, and it was translated by his daughter, Ruth Solomon, who's been, I think, over years now going through her father's archives. He was a professor in New York, and his papers were all donated to the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. So she's been going through organizing all these papers and, and finding his personal matter in the meantime. And some of it is his writings from when he was really young, a teenager. And this poem is one of those. So a poem that's supposed to be a letter to his mother who had passed away. And um, there are some other surprising um Do you want to talk a little bit about a provincial newspaper? Yes, <laughs> a provincial newspaper is really fun. So this is an excerpt from a novella by Miriam Karpilov that's translated by Jessica Kierzane. Um So this is a, the start of this novella in which a letter plays the kind of crucial plot-turning device. Uh, a young woman writer gets her big break, what she thinks is going to be her big break, when she's invited to become the editor of a new Yiddish newspaper that's being founded off in the provinces. Funnily enough, it's a made-up town in Massachusetts. So you get a little bit of a sense of the Yiddish geography that Karpilov's living in New York and Massachusetts is this kind of imaginary <laughs> rural place that she sends somebody off to. It still has like streetcars and all of these things that I don't think are very common in rural Massachusetts. But so um, it's written in the style of a, a serialized, serialized novella that would have been published in the Yiddish press. And it's kind of satirizing um, the kind of slapdash nature of the Yiddish press. So these editors are trying to put together a new, new newspaper and they're throwing it together and Funnily enough, the young woman writer keeps getting saddled with more and more work, and she's the only one responsible enough to actually do her work. Um, so you can feel that Carpe Love must have been exercising a lot of her personal experience as a woman trying to make it as a writer in the Yiddish press. And then there are, uh, well, there's one, one postcard. Yes, which is kind of fun. <laughs> it's it's sometimes what we call punctuation, um, yeah. in, because it's just it's a place to sort of stop and rest. But it's just again, it's a it's a postcard that was written f by Mark Chagall, the artist, to Yiddish writer Sholomash, um, and it's playful. It shows that they had a deep connection, and it reminds us again that artists and writers and other creative types um, yeah. were all sort of sharing a world and, and, and having these kind of interplays. It, it reads, Dear Ones, comma, it is raining, comma, pouring, comma, bucketing, period. What kind of world is this? Nevertheless, life is good. Yours, Chagall. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, that postcard from, comes from the collection of our colleague here, David Mazower, and 
he has hundreds. I wouldn't be surprised if it was thousands of postcards to the Ash family from all kinds of people and from all kinds of places. And it, it's this wonderful archive. But all of the writing, you know, is this short kind of haikus from Marc Chagall (laughs) about the rain. It's great. And then there are some serious and not easy pieces. Yes, yeah. So um, I would say that there are a few pieces that start to touch on politics and they get into the public realm. Um, one One of the more powerful and more serious selections in the piece are a series of letters written by Jewish soldiers who volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War. So they were known as the Botwin Brigade, this group of Jewish soldiers. Um, And the translator, Deborah Green, she's searching for all the material she can find in Yiddish about the Spanish Civil War because thousands of Jews went to volunteer um, in that fight. Uh, And she, she submitted this selection of four letters from soldiers written just before their execution. So these are, um, they'd fought in the Civil War and then gone on to join the fight against the Nazis in the early 40s and are captured by Germans and held in camps and right before they're executed, they're allowed to write a final letter home. So you can imagine their heartbreaking letters, um, but another incredible kind of unknown archive, right? The Spanish Civil War is a topic that's of interest to so many people and there's this whole trove of material that Deborah Green is exploring in Yiddish that would be new to any historian who thinks they know everything there is to know about this historical event. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for bringing this to publication, for all that you do um, to bring Yiddish work and translation to readers. This was a really exciting project. Thanks. Um, and we look forward to all that you've got on your desk that's coming out soon. And um, so, again, uh, for listeners, um, this is the 2019 Pockentrager digital translation issue, and it is titled... Avram Avenu receives a letter and other Yiddish correspondence. And you can find this um, and read it on our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Look in the language, literature, and culture section in Pockentrager. Or you can also find this and take it on to the beach or wherever you're going as an ebook. It's available on Kindle, Nook, and I won't go down the whole litany of, of tablet devices and um, iBooks. Um, anyway, read it, enjoy it, and Write to us. Let us know what you think. Send us some letters. (laughs) Thanks again, Mendel. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Bleichfeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.